Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we are both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hello. There it is. Hello. How are you? Hello, everyone. So we are episode five, but more importantly, week four of lockdown is done. We're into week five. Oh, wow. God, our episode's just like twinning with the weeks of lockdown. Yeah, essentially, yes. That's delightful for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. I'd rather be twinned with something happier, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, it's National Infertility Awareness Week in the US. Oh, well, that's that's good. That's a better thing to be twinned with. Yeah, so happy National Infertility Awareness Week to our US listeners. Indeed. Hello, guys. I hope you've got plenty planned to celebrate it. Yeah. Such as baking a banana bread. Indeed. That's now the thing that you do. That's what one does to mark occasions. I'm now measuring my life in banana breads. Days days don't really mean anything. So I'm like, four days since third banana bread. (laughs) That's incredible. Um, Yeah, it's been been seven days since my last banana bread. Oh, you're doing well. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how am I doing? Um, good. So today, uh, because our friend Liz Fox uh, forcefully nominated us to complete the 5K challenge. Yeah, I've got a bone uh, to pick with her. Uh huh. Um, so I yes, yeah, so I went and did that, which was really nice actually, because I don't really make time for running anymore and um you today know, you did I, I was I was worried that I'd get out there and I'd be knackered and I got out there and the sun was on me and the wind was in my hair kind of and uh yeah I felt invigorated uh, and I also was very aware of the fact that um so I've joined a local Facebook group uh for South East <laughs> London area and most of the Facebook group is basically dog walkers bitching about joggers amazing yeah apparently this is like a deep-seated uh resentment that's been bubbling under the surface for years and has just boiled over now that (laughs) all of the joggers are running in parks not gyms and all the dog walkers that have been in the parks the whole time are now like ducking out of the way of like these panty runners who are obviously you know breathing their plague breath all over everyone oh dear so what did you do to be a good a good citizen? Well, I was kind of I was just very aware of how close I was, so I was kind of ducking out of the way of people like running off piste and going onto the grass just to avoid any kind of panty drive-bys. Um panty <laughs> drive-bys that could have gone one of two ways. <laughs> what else could a panty drive-by? I don't know. I dread to think things. Gabriella. <laughs> um so yeah, I was just being a very conscientious jogger in the hope that I wouldn't then be bitched about on this Facebook group later on today. Um, I'd love a local Facebook group. I'd love uh, it, a local Facebook group. It is very funny. The Margate um, ones are literally just people complaining about litter, which is absolutely their prerogative because it's disgusting. But really? is it is it is it like a dump? Well, let's just say, Gabs, 
that we didn't have our bins collected for a week. Then somebody Mm. used our bin to put their rubbish in, so we had nowhere to put our rubbish. And some people, just because their bins hadn't been collected, just put their bins out on the street. We have seagulls here. The seagulls are just, like, straight in there. So, like, and they just spread rubbish up and down the street. Um, there's also quite bad fly tipping around here, which has got worse since they closed the dumps. I mean, it's serious political stuff. I mean, there is something uniquely infuriating about bin politics. Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. Like, I had serious beef with my upstairs neighbours for a while. um, Don't even talk to me about upstairs neighbours. It was our job to put the bins out, and it made me furious. We, um... Moving on a little bit from bins, one of the greatest Margate Facebook (laughs) group moments. (laughs) If I must. One of the greatest Margate Facebook group moments ever was the other day on the street just up from us. There was like really loud music playing and I was like, oh, that's crap music. I'm glad that I don't live there as I walk past on my daily exercise. And then like I got home, went on Facebook and the first post was like, can somebody please turn turn off that shit music? I can't sleep. And then the or, the guy who was playing the music posted, I'm just trying to cheer everyone up. This is what happens it's, when neighbours communicate. Yeah, it's unique to these times, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. The pettiness levels are just astounding, but I, I kind of love it. I also think um, this week uh, I might have done something good eagle. Um, oh, no. Uh, so I'd like to run it past you all. Okay. Uh, basically, I had a coffee date with my next door neighbour over the fence well, like at a safe distance. Were you two meters apart? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Well, then that's fine. Yeah. We were standing on chairs, uh, just you know, having a chin wag, um, and it felt like it was maybe a bit naughty because you know she's not a member of my household. Um, I think it's okay if you're literally anyway. on separate properties. I think that's okay. Okay, good. That makes me feel much better. Yeah. Um, if you guys can hear interesting sounds, there's some kind of. I don't really know what's happening now, but my next door neighbour's having a party. It sounds like they might be like boiling a giant pot. Boiling a giant pot? Yeah. I don't really know what it is, but... Um, is that yeah. what kids do these days? TikTok <laughs> and pot boiling? Oh, don't even talk to me about TikTok. <laughs> oh, dear. I just don't understand it. Yeah. I just I don't. don't. I don't I'm think sorry. they're supposed to. I think maybe it's for for the young adults. (laughs) I just, maybe it's because I'm not in the beautiful enough couple. Because as far as I can tell, it's all beautiful couples doing dances. And that's great for them. But I I just, I feel like I'm alienated by it because I'm the couple that I'm in. I'd say we're moderately good looking. Mate, I would say you're one of the best looking couples I know. Oh, mate, thanks. Yeah. That's so generous. You guys stick on on some lycra and do a dance. (laughs) TikTok will go crazy. I just, I, I don't have that much lycra. <laughs> um, hence why I did that 5k as a nice civilised stroll yeah, rather than a run. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> should we talk about the show? Well, the running thing is quite uh, relevant. It but... is. Oh, what a segue. Uh, <laughs> clunky. No, gorgeous. <laughs> Utterly gorgeous. <laughs> I've complimented your um, broadcasting skills already this series, but I want to do it again. Oh, wow. Well, thanks. For um, that. Yeah, so this week we, well, you actually spoke to Lucy from Rainbow Running Club. I did indeed, yeah. Um, we had a really nice chat about why she set up the running club in the first place and what it helps her to do and other people who join in. And um, it was just like a nice chat about, about what running, how good running is. And it, it was pre-corona yeah um, well, it, it wasn't was. actually too pre but it was it was pre-lockdown yeah um, so, so so she was on a retreat about, like, at the time wasn't she she was she was um she was at a gathering of more than one person so <laughs> um so now it would not be possible no but um but yeah i think obviously you know talking about running it might inspire people to get out on their own and do their own daily exercise as a yeah. run and obviously once this is all over and Corona goes back to just being a beer that's nice and refreshing, <laughs> um, you, you know, you guys can hopefully go and do one of the running clubs. I felt 
um quite emotional listening to it yeah i found it really yeah. emotional to listen to yeah well lucy's got a, you know she's got an interesting story she has got an interesting story um so there's that and then liz and nick are looking into adoption this week adoption yeah the adoption option, the adoption option. um off they go to a adoption evening, which is something I think so many of us have thought about doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's really interesting to kind of look into the process of that. And then we've got Professor Tim Child, Medical Director of Oxford Fertility. Nice. And he's talking fibroids. Fibroids. What are they? Um, Why are they there? Are they? What, yeah, what? who invited them to the party? <laughs> Not me. I mean, yeah. No invites issued. No. Um, yes. So we spoke to press him about fibroids. Yep. Um, and while you're listening to us, you can also follow us on Instagram. At big fat negative. You can um, follow us on Twitter. At big fat negative. You can follow us on Facebook. Big fat negative. You can email us. Big fat negative podcast at gmail.com. But also, if you could rate and review the podcast and hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Um, oh, yeah. That would be lovely. Subby, subby squeeze. Yeah, absolutely. And um, have a lovely week. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what have you been doing this week? What have I been doing this week? What, uh, what have we been doing this what week? What have we been doing this week, more accurately? Uh, well, we had quite a big night last night, didn't we? We did. Where did we go? We went to uh, an adoption information evening, um, which was run by our local authority, and it was uh, a, a collaborative information evening. So I think, is it four authorities that have sort of collaborated together to form this um adoption agency i guess is what you call it um anyway so we went to their information evening uh it was our first foray if you will yep into adoption and we were late and we were late <laughs> didn't help that you stopped to put makeup on before well, we went in i thought they were going to judge me they're probably judging us for being late more than your makeup yeah but we weren't the latest ones though yeah. there were definitely people that were late second us. from last doesn't isn't exactly much better. No? No. <laughs> so, aside from us being late... And we had to sit at the front. And we had to sit at the front. losers. What did you think? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it? It was very positive, yeah. I thought. Um, because I was expecting, and I'm not sure if this should have happened, but to almost be scared into the realities of it more than what actually happened so whether that was a good sign that I wasn't scared off or that they just didn't go into as much detail on this occasion as I was expecting them to yeah so what kind of detail were you expecting from them I don't really know it's just that the impression I had I think when we spoke to our counsellor is any sort of romantic notions of it will be you'll live happily ever after it will be great would be sort of knocked out of me, essentially. Yes, I mean, she was... Or uh, the realities would be a lot starker. Yeah, I think she was quite frank, wasn't she, about what to expect, and they would be quite blunt about, uh, I guess, issues that are faced by children that are put for adoption, and, uh, like you say, yeah, have that kind of romantic notion really sort of for want of a better term, shat upon. Yes. Which didn't really happen. No. It was all quite positive and that beats I found. I mean you sound really confused by that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I dunno, I was expecting a lot more. I don't know why, possibly because of this whole, you know, you're gonna be faced with the stark realities of adoption. Um, I thought the trainer, I said the trainer, the guy who was taking the session, he was amazing. Yeah, he was really good. Really good, really And amazing. maybe that's why it didn't seem so daunting, because they did go into some detail about the issues that some of the kids will have. Yeah. And, well, it's unlikely to get a child pretty under a year, I'd say. No, so do you want to go into a little bit of detail about what we discovered at this evening? 
What, what, like the age range? Well, just generally. So, you know, obviously they started by explaining a little bit about the process, I guess. Uh, obviously we were late, so yeah. we, we missed the first part. Um, How my memory works is just I get um, bits and pieces I remember. I do have a linear memory. <laughs> so, so to start to maybe describe the... Um, the event is tricky. Okay, so let's go back. Yeah. Um, was there anything that stood out for you that you found out about last night? Um, I, to be honest, it, I think the biggest thing was the, I don't know, the issues that they have, like the emotional issues that we learned a bit more about the alcoholic and drug dependency yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, than we knew previously a bit more what to expect and how that will affect the um, the growth mm-hmm. of a child and uh, their development I mean knew a bit about but not the nuts and bolts of it no and I, I mean I wouldn't say they went into massive massive detail but yeah it was definitely uh, you know it went into more detail than, than I already knew Um I think it was quite interesting that they were very firm, like you say, about you're probably not going to get a child under yeah. a year old. And yeah. also um, something that we'd already kind of been aware of, that they're really quite keen to uh, find adopters for sibling groups. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, that was kind of confirming what we already knew. Um and the other interesting thing, actually, was that they were talking about the impact of emotional trauma yes. on children, on babies that aren't actually born yet. So even if yeah. they can have, like, intervention at, at, from birth, they can't actually guarantee that that child won't have suffered um, physical or behavioural impact yeah. from what's happened to the birth mother. So that was quite interesting, I thought. Hi, Gert. Oh, (laughs) hi, Gert. She's using her new cat flap. It's a raging success. (laughs) She went out five minutes ago and she's straight back in. Um, Anyway, so what about the people there? Was that, did that kind of surprise you? Yeah, I think there was, it was a bigger age range. I think we were probably the younger end of the scale. Yes. I think... Yeah, we're but I'd podcast. imagine the ma- majority were within a 10-year radius of us, ten, yeah. uh, like 10 years above us, I would say. Yeah, what did they say? Like, the average age is about 44, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the mean age. That is the average, yeah. yes. That's what he said. It was what he said. Jeez. Um, okay, we're recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um yeah, so basically, uh, going through the evening, they kind of described the process. Yeah. Um, were very very clear about the fact that as adopters, you would definitely get um, as much support as humanly possible, wasn't it? It was very much, you will not be left on your own and you certainly won't be put in a position where you feel uncomfortable um, or not for force isn't the right word what what word did he use but basically you wouldn't be placed with a child or you wouldn't be matched with a child that you didn't yes. feel was was appropriate for you yeah because you've got i think from what my answer you go for the um panel mm-hmm. to approve yourself as to be approved as adoptive parents mm-hmm. and then a matching panel to match you with the right child yeah, so you almost get approved to be an adopter first and then you get matched with the child. Um, I mean, he was quite blunt about some of the uh, research areas. The areas, but basically, the, the, you know, you kind of get visited by a social worker on a weekly basis or a, or a bi-weekly basis. And they sort of construct this report about you which then gets presented to a panel. Um, and in that report, they very much cover a lot of aspects of your life my yeah I, f- I think once you get to that panel interview i hope it's 
they've got an idea of whether you're going to be accepted anyway before well, you go in based on that report. Well, yeah, I mean, I assume that they wouldn't take you all the way to the yeah. panel if they didn't think you were going to be accepted. Yeah. Um, so within the report, um, from you know what we kind of understood from last night, they look at things like... Um, your financial situation, your relationships, uh, your upbringing, your work, hobbies, and my absolute favourite part of the whole process, contacting former partners. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he did kind of put your mind at rest on that point a little bit, didn't he? Yeah. Um, his, he was saying it's quite a... It's not an in-depth like interview they have with your ex-partner. It's more a few questions. And also, if you've had a bad breakup and you're worried about someone slagging you off, essentially, they do take into other, other people's references. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, they don't take their word as law. Yeah. But, you know, equally, I don't particularly want anybody contacting my ex, to be fair. I mean, I find the whole process a bit... I don't know, I kind of get frustrated with it, I suppose, because if we were, in inverted commas, normal couple who would just having a shag and, and having a baby, nobody <laughs> nobody would even be questioning our financial situation. Nope. Nobody would even be, you know, alerting anybody. Other well, it's like 99.9% will never be, <laughs> like, ever have their parenting called into question. Well, exactly. Before their parents. And, and don't get me wrong, I completely understand why yeah. they have to do this. It's just like another hurdle, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, great, so I'm infertile, and now you have to effectively delve deep into my soul mm. and my whole life in order to determine if I'm actually going to be a decent parent or not. Yeah. Excellent. So I think you have to be quite robust to be able to cope with that, I think. Yeah. Um, so how did you... Has this changed or... Well, yeah, changed your opinion thus far between the two or had any impact on your opinion between donor and adoption? I don't know. To be honest with you, I kind of hoped that it would. Yeah. Like, I really hoped that it was going to be a turning point for me to make a decision either way as to where, you know, where I felt that I wanted to go. Um, I didn't come away from it feeling more confused, but I certainly didn't come away from it feeling as informed as I'd hoped I would be. No. And I certainly didn't feel... Oh God, this sounds really bad, but I thought I would be, like, massively emotionally attached like, I would hear these stories about these children who desperately, desperately need to be uh, to find forever families, and I would be really, like, torn by that. But because we didn't have that experience, yeah. I came away feeling really confused. Yeah, I think... I, I thought there would be, yeah, like you say, individual stories. And I, I'm sure I've heard where you have people who have gone through the process and will speak to prospective adopters just... To relay their experiences to give a more real world, yeah. Because I was, it was very much, I don't know, the not the basics, but very like almost academic was, look was, at adoption, wasn't it? Yeah, it was chalk and talk basically. Yeah. Um, you know, we came away with a pack and a PowerPoint presentation and everything. Um, and you know, as far as they're concerned, the next steps are to uh, send a form and have an initial visit, and then go to a what was it called, like a prepare to adopt course? Yeah. Um, I don't think that we're eligible to do any of that no, at the moment. No, not yet, not till May, I would assume. And I, I don't, and even, and to be honest, I think we need that time anyway, wouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. But I also feel a bit like I still don't know if that's the way I want to go. Yeah. I almost needed that emotional connection to think actually, yes, this is the path that's calling to me. And I just didn't get that yesterday. Yeah, but I think it's hard to get an emotional pull from a uh, chalk and talk type of thing. Exactly. So I, th- I think that the fact that it wasn't what I'd expected almost threw me a bit. I think for me, the, the, the main differences you have from gaining information from donor eggs in comparison to adoption mm. or IVF in general mm. and adoption is, when you talk about IVF, 
your goal is to get pregnant and mm. that's all that's the, as in depth as they go into it that's the main goal mm. having the child and parenthood is not ever discussed really is it no well, whereas it, with adoption it's all parenthood it's all the experience of being a parent yeah which in some ways is better because that's really what you're aiming to be so when you go to these evenings that's what i that's what i found you're you're looking, you're being taught, told almost more what it's going to be like to be a parent. Yeah, I suppose those realities, you're being confronted by those realities a lot yeah. more. Yeah, so obviously the advice from the counsellor was to, what was her word? Treat this quite playfully. Yeah. Uh, and go to a few. So I definitely feel that I got a lot of information from yesterday and it was really, really useful. But I definitely don't think it's helped me to make up my mind. I think we're going to need more information. Yeah. I think, like, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if all initial information evenings are like that. Mm. Or it varies from place to place. Well, or... I think that's what we need to try and find out, isn't it? Yeah, and it'd be good to, like, obviously speak to someone who's been for it. I think that's... Yeah, because I think you then get a much more realistic understanding yeah. of, of actually what it's like yeah what about you what do, like do you kind of feel differently after yesterday i felt quite excited by going there mm-hmm. a bit daunted to go because you think we're actually taking a step towards almost putting your money by your mouth is a bit yeah. i know it's only an information day but actually now the reality's hitting home mm-hmm. um but yeah it was like i said it's a positive evening because you're talking about potentially a route to parenthood yeah but, yeah, I could, there could have been more information. Um, but then it was a two-hour session, so I don't know. I don't know. I think information's probably not the way I would say it. I think maybe more real-world experiences. Yeah. Um, real-world experiences. You know what I mean. You know, kind of... How, yeah. Experiences from actual adopters, from adoptive children. Um just because I think people connect a lot more with with life stories, I guess. Yeah, and I think as I guess that that guy, although they're very good, he's very much from the working with adopted parents rather than experiencing being adopted parents themselves. So it's a little bit different as well, getting information from someone like that than someone who has adopted. And I guess he's quite removed from it as yeah. well because of what he does. Yeah. So, all in all, a very positive and interesting evening. Um, and if you are thinking about it, I definitely recommend going along to one. Yeah. I mean, you you have to, really. That's, it's that initial first step, isn't it? From yeah. uh, And there was no, you know, kind of need to make any further commitment, really. So, nope. yes, onwards and upwards to the next thing, really. And hopefully it'll help us make a choice. Yeah. Um, but until then, we'll uh, see you again. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, Lucy, I really 
want to talk to you about the Rainbow Running Club that you set up. But first, we kind of need to start with what inspired you to create it. So tell me about your journey. My journey. So um, my journey started just after I turned 30 when we decided that we wanted to have a family. Um, So we started trying and I fell pregnant within a couple of months. Um, But sadly, we lost our first baby at seven weeks. Um, with a miscarriage Um, and it was quite a shock because I wasn't really expecting anything to go wrong Um, and it took Mm. quite a while to to come to terms with that Um, but then after that we struggled for two years um, and we weren't able to get pregnant again Um, we had all the tests and we were given the diagnosis of unexplained infertility um, and there weren't any reasons as to why we weren't getting pregnant, but it just wasn't happening for us. Um, so we got to the point where we were about to start IVF on the NHS. And then when we lived, um, the rules changed and you had to be trying to conceive for three years, um, not two. Um, and we just got to the two year mark and I said, I can't do another year of this. I, I want to start treatment now. So we found a lovely local clinic um, and we had IVF. Um, our first cycle, I um, got really ill with ovarian hyperstimulation um, and we had to freeze our embryos. And then yes. a few months later, we had our transfer and then we went on to have our daughter, um, which was wonderful. Um, and then after her, after having our daughter, just before her first birthday, I found out that I was pregnant, which came as quite a surprise. Um, because after two years of nothing happening I kind of resigned myself to the fact that we probably wouldn't ever get pregnant naturally yeah of course so that was a real surprise um and then again at seven weeks I had another miscarriage um at home um which again that that was a real shock too because I just started to come to terms with the fact that we were going to have a baby and then it had all been taken away again um and then a month or so later, I got pregnant again naturally, um, which again, I couldn't quite believe was happening mm. again. Um, but obviously went into that pregnancy with a lot of a lot of fear and anxiety. Yeah, of course. Um, and we booked to have an early scan at seven weeks at the clinic where we'd had our fertility treatment. And we got to that seven week scan and there was a heartbeat and I... we. I was astounded because I didn't yeah. believe um, that it was going to happen. Um, and my husband and everyone kept saying, you know, you can be happy, you can relax, you know, that we've, we've got here, we've got past this seven-week hurdle this time. Um, and then we went back at 10 weeks for another scan and we were told that um, the baby had had died and that it had probably happened at around eight or nine weeks um, and I was really shocked because I felt pregnant. I hadn't had any bleeding. I was being sick. I had no reason to believe that anything had gone wrong. Um, and I was devastated because I really thought this time um, we'd got over the hurdles and we were going to have yeah. come home with another baby. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't know what to do and I felt really low but I had to keep going because obviously we had our daughter and you have to keep getting up and you have to keep yeah. getting on with life. You can't just hide in bed and as much as you. that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I decided that I was going to start doing some exercise to try and make myself feel better because yeah. obviously pregnancy and fertility drugs and all of that had gained a lot of weight and that had obviously not my confidence as well. And obviously all the miscarriages and all of that really puts your self-worth on the floor. Um, completely so I downloaded couch to 5k and I started running and I couldn't yeah. I, I couldn't run I was not I'm not a sporty person and but gradually as the weeks went by and the time went up and I and yes I lost weight but I gained so much more than I lost because I finally started to feel like I was doing something for me that was making me feel better for the first time in a long time that wasn't fertility related. It was just about doing something that felt good and made me feel better. It wasn't because it was going to help me get pregnant or, you know, I I was so scared for a long time to do so many things. It was just wonderful to just do something for me. Um, 
And I just I mean, thought, well, if this makes me feel better, then I wonder whether I could help somebody else who is going through a similar situation or infertility or baby loss or struggling to conceive. Maybe that I can help them as well. Maybe I can encourage them and we can go running together. So um, I said to my friend, I've had this idea. I want to start a running club. Do you think this is a crazy idea? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm the least sportiest person. I'm not an outgoing, like, confident person. Um, and she said, no, I think it's a great idea and I'll do it with you. So we decided oh, to set up a website and I launched on Instagram and we had our first run in September last year in Hartford. And we both said, maybe one person will come, maybe two, but it doesn't matter. Like, if one person comes, then we'll have made a difference and maybe we can just help one person. Mm. And I think we had 25 women came to our first run, which was just mind-boggling. Yeah, and that's I amazing. I couldn't believe it. And the response and the support from this community that I had no idea was here online on Instagram has been phenomenal. And yeah, it's just snowballed from there. So, gosh, yeah, I can imagine. Been, yeah, it's been a whirlwind and it's really taken yeah. me by surprise, but it, it's been wonderful. I'm going to um, go back to your kind of your your journey and your story first for, for a few minutes just to I mean there's so much there that you've told us that is that is just so frustrating um, I mean how how did you cope with the kind of unexplained infertility diagnosis because we know that so many people find that to be kind of one of the hardest things is yeah. that there's no there's no reason there isn't and you want and all you desperately want is an answer so that you can have a solution you just because everything in our life we have such control over and we want to do something we make it happen and then to be told that this is totally out of your hands and there's no reason why. So it's not like if you try this, then you'll get pregnant. There's no answer. So for someone who likes to be in control of things, I found that real a real challenge because mm. not that I wanted to be diagnosed with something, but I just wanted a reason why why it wasn't working, why we weren't yeah. getting and why we had got pregnant, but then we couldn't get pregnant again. Um, yeah. yeah well that's yeah that's what I was going to say I mean that must make it even harder because you're you've, you've fallen pregnant quite quickly the first time yeah. and so to then have that not happen again is is just gut-wrenching yeah it, I I didn't realize how much it had impacted me until I kind of stepped off this roller coaster last year and look back and I just feel like those three years of my life were a bit of a blur because it was just all consuming mm. and yeah I, I look, don't look back on that time as a happy time in my life no. even though there were happy moments I just feel like it was just all consuming. Well you kind of end up racing from one one kind of solution or one attempt at something to the next to the next to the next without really stopping to to think about what's happened yeah because you're just so desperate to get you do, that you just want to get of... to that end goal of having a baby and you'll just do yeah. anything but you don't actually take time to, to take it all in as you're going along you're just so desperate Amazing. to get there yeah, absolutely. And um, and the OHSS, did that actually take hold? Because I know that I I was told that I had to freeze all because there was a risk of OHSS, but, but it didn't actually transpire. Um, no, I, I we weren't, that wasn't what we were planning for. We were going to have our transfer, but um, after my egg retrieval, I was really unwell with OHSS. Um, and I was in such a state that we couldn't go ahead with the transfer on day five because by that point I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, I couldn't move. I was in such agony that it just... And they said that if I had got pregnant, it would have carried on and got worse. And I just knew that I couldn't... <laughs> I'd had it for no. a week and I couldn't do it for another 12 weeks. No, God, no. No, I just... And it wasn't... It didn't feel like this This is not the right environment to be... Um, putting a precious embryo into when I can't even eat or drink anything yeah I mean did that make you feel because I know that whenever this happens to people obviously it's really really frustrating because you just you're so close to getting that transfer but then I suppose if you're able to kind of think okay well actually this isn't the best time to do it this is definitely not you know it would be our chances of success are greater if we hold off I suppose that's something that you can kind of hold on to yes it is although obviously you're understandably frustrated and disappointed because you finally feel like you're about to get 
closer to that hurdle and then the post gets moved away again mm. um so yeah that I was really disappointed because I didn't I didn't see that was going to happen so yeah but I tried to think the whole way through IVF because it's such a long process and there are so many hurdles to jump over that you just had to deal with the one that was in front of you so you get to your egg retrieval and then you get past each day and then you get to the next point because otherwise it was too overwhelming yeah absolutely so yeah I was really disappointed and I think I naively thought that if we had a frozen cycle it would be a lot quicker because we'd already done the egg retrieval part but all the down regulation drugs and everything it still took a long time to get to the transfer stage yeah that's the thing with IVF though isn't it it can just like and just this whole process in general you're just constantly waiting it's like a big huge waiting game and it you know it can just seem endless it really does and um but congratulations you your your frozen transfer was successful yes thank you (laughs) um I now have a (laughs) two-year-old and um and so and then you went on to get pregnant naturally again that's it must have been such a shock yeah it really was because I mean it wasn't something that I was really considering at that point either because our daughter wasn't even one okay (laughs) and when I I found out I was like oh my goodness you know she's not even one yet how am I going to manage this this is a lot to take in Mm. um yeah but then before I even got really got the chance to get my head around that idea then it was all it had all changed again what inspired the the exercise so as you say you you weren't a sporty person what what made you think okay actually maybe this is going to be helpful to, to, in all honesty it was vanity and it was the fact that I was unhappy in myself because I had gained so much weight and I thought well maybe if I can lose a bit of weight and I can that will help me to feel a bit better about myself again um, and also at the time I was reading Jessica Hepburn's book Um, of her story of swimming the channel (laughs) and yes that was hugely inspirational she's such an incredible woman and I just thought wow you know Jessica's turned something so negative into something her driving force to do something and and it really inspired me and I thought well I'm 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 by no means going to attempt to swim the English channel (laughs) But maybe I could run 5k and go from there. <laughs> she is, um, she's a bit of a legend, isn't she, Jessica? She really is. Um, the book's called 21 Miles? Yes, it is. Right? Miles, yeah, 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 it's a fantastic book. Um, and have you, um, we interviewed Jessica last year. Have you, have you met Jessica yet? Yes, I have. Um, she joined me in January um, and we did a 5k run together. And that was just a real pinch me moment <laughs> to actually get to oh. meet her and to tell her in person how much of an impact her book had had on me. And in quite in all honesty, I'm sure if I hadn't have read it, then I probably I might have started running. I don't know. But I definitely don't think that the Rainbow Running Club would have been formed. So oh. yeah, she, she had a huge role in that as well. And so um, so you, you mentioned there that you had 25 people at the first one. How has it gone ever since? Um, so quite quickly, I then had women from different parts of the country getting in touch um, to set up runs where they live. Um, so we currently have um, a lady in Leamington Spa, we have one in Bournemouth, we have one in Brighton, two ladies in Sheffield, um, I'm trying to think where else we've got, we've got so many different ladies, I don't want to miss anybody off. Um, we've got um, some coming to Yorkshire as well, so slowly we're gathering momentum. Um, not always at all of those runs I mean we had a run at Richmond for baby loss awareness week and that was a huge we had 40 women came to that one Um, but normally I'd say we have about five or six women that come along to our local groups Um, but but that's really nice because then you actually get a chance to talk to each other and to build more of a community because I think when you walk into a room and there's 40 women there it's a bit like overwhelming as to where to start um, and who to talk to so I find that the smaller groups are are really lovely because they are more intimate and you do get a chance to chat with everybody and everyone gets a chance to chat with each other Mm. and then we're slowly building up 
um, women who come to other events and have joined us. We, we've started doing some a few yoga evenings and we had a retreat day in London a few weeks ago. Um, and it's just lovely starting to see the same faces and to build to build a relationship and to build a community with those women. Mm. Why do you think it's... Um, I mean, I find this personally whenever I go for a run, uh, not only do I have time to think, it's also, it does, it's a remedy for feeling low, I think. Yeah. Um, why do you think it is so good for that? I think it's because you're focusing on the process of running. So your mind almost, although you are thinking about things, you're also concentrating on what you're doing in the moment. I used to find that it helped me to switch off because I'd be thinking, oh, I've just got to run a minute and I need to get to that lamppost or I need to do that. So it would give my mind a break. Um, mm. But I think it's also like the the endorphins that I didn't really believe existed until last year. <laughs> but that the rush, yeah, those mystical endorphins that when you get back, you get such a rush of like, wow, I've just been for a 5k run and I managed to run, you know. And you just feel really good when you get back. And I think it's being outside and being in the fresh air even if it is pouring with rain, you know, that's not always as mm-hmm. nice. But just being out and just having some time for yourself to just yeah. to just be. And I think doing that in a group as well or with a friend is really empowering as well because it's almost like me and my friend often meet and go for a run together and we just run, rant about our weeks, share things, run it out and then come back and feel so much happier. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. It's like a little mini, little mini therapy session. Now, I'm guessing that not everyone that joins is um, is a regular Usain Bolt. No, no, um, no, no. And that's something that I really want to make sure that everyone is fully aware. Like, you do not have to run to come along. We have so many women that come who walk, and that is perfectly fine too. It's not about the running. It's about meeting others who understand. It's about getting out. It's about getting some time to yourself and getting some fresh air and exercise. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. You def- most definitely don't have to be a runner to join in, and it's not about oh, you have to be able to run a five k or a ten k or you know. It's just we go out and we see how everyone feels on the day, and we often split into two groups of the girls who want to run and the girls who want to go for a walk, um, and then yeah, just go off have a walk, and then we always end up at the end with some cake. So we always find oh. somewhere lovely to go for cake afterwards. Fantastic, that's our reward. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I suppose um, I know something we found is that exercise is quite a hot topic um, in the kind of TTC community because there's times when people feel like they're worried about doing too much and they're kind of they're worried whether or not they can actually go for a run did you do you hear that from people when you kind of meet out yes most definitely and I completely understand how they feel because at the time I was the same I was always I'd start running at the beginning of the month and then as soon as I thought well I might be pregnant I would stop um so yeah, it is something and but I think it's also really beneficial like just to get out for a walk and just to go and chat to somebody and you can come to yeah. yoga and you can just lay on your mat or do something really gentle. It's not about pushing yourself physically, it's just about doing some just having some time for you, really. That's the most important mm. bit. And um, so we, t- today, you are, you're at one of your retreats, right? Do you want yes. to tell me about the true retreats? Yes, so this weekend we're on our first Rainbow Running Club retreat weekend. Um, Amazing, In Chichester, thank you. Um, it's all very surreal. I can't quite believe it. This is, you know, I didn't think that this would be something we would be doing six months down the line. But um, mm-hmm. yes, there are 12 of us here. Um, we're in a beautiful um, manor house in Chichester um, and we've been having yoga. We went to West Wishering Beach for a walk and a run this morning, which is gorgeous. We've been having amazing food, obviously lots of cakes, um, lots yes. of really lovely chats. Um, and we've also, um, Julia Bueno, the author of The Brink of Being, has been to see us all this afternoon too and chat yeah. about her work. So that has been incredible as well. She's um, great. We love her. Yes, she is an utter inspiration as well. And mm. I'm so honoured that she could spare her Saturday to come and be with us all today because it's been really invaluable to have her advice and to chat about her work as well. So, yes. Sounds brilliant. It, it's and really and it's such an amazing group of women, and everyone's yeah. been so open and sharing their experiences with each other. It's just such a lovely atmosphere. 
really Fantastic. really excited and so relieved that it's all going so well <laughs> so there'll be more i'm assuming yes yes i'm hoping this will be the first of many <laughs> brilliant and um i have to say you've got some sweet ass merch um, <laughs> some brilliant t-shirts <laughs> yes there's a lot of sparkle as well as cake i love sparkles so yeah we've got some sparkly rainbow um, merchandise going on where which we um raise money for tommy's for as well when we sell those so fantastic brilliant and um so we've got i mean we've got listeners all over the world um what would you say to someone who was thinking of setting up their own version of the rainbow running club elsewhere so if someone would love to set up the rainbow running club where they live then i would love to hear from them um (laughs) and i've uh, yeah we i would love to help them um so i would say if you could get in touch with me um via my website rainbowrunningclub.co.uk or on instagram um, at mother of one and I can help you um, with all the information that you need to do that um, and then we just list all the different events and meetups on our website so that it's easy wherever you are in the world to find out what's going on where you are. Amazing and so what um, I guess if someone wants to get involved here in the UK what's next for the Rainbow Running Club? Where, where's your next, where is your next run? Have you got runs planned throughout the summer? We haven't got any big events lined up at the minute. We've got a few local runs, like, continuing on. Um, but after the success of our retreat day and our retreat weekend, I'm my mind is um, whirling with ideas for the next big adventure. So um, I'm hoping to have some things in place in the next few weeks. I can imagine. Well, can you let me and Emma know? Because I think we'd both like to be there next time. Yes, most definitely. (laughs) We're both desperate to come out for one of the runs and now the retreats sound amazing. So so do let us know. Yes, we will do. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. fibroids yeah this week children f stands for fibroids now i'm wondering if there's anybody in the entire infertility community who hasn't had a doctor turn to them at least once and go it might be fibroids mm. you yeah, it's dreaded words i've like i've had several doctors look up my regime looking for fibroids couldn't find anything mm. which is nice for me uh, yeah, that is nice. I, I've never had any, I don't believe, it's that qu- I've known of. It's quite a common, I think it's like, I think GPs like to suggest it because they, you know what they look like. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't require like the most specific knowledge. Yeah, and they can be a cause of spotting, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why um, there was one GP who, my favourite GP, who thought I might have fibroids. Um, and so she, I think she kind of helped me get the ball, ball rolling on infertility, to be honest. Oh, what a ledge. She, she is a ledge. I love her. Um, so, yeah. and But I, I didn't really understand what they were or why they could cause spotting or infertility. So we asked Professor Tim. So fibroids are essentially lumps of muscle in the uterine wall. The uterus is obviously made of muscle. Um, and they're benign tumours. They're one of the commonest tumours that women can have. And probably if we scanned every woman uh, in her 40s, then we would find fibroids in around about 40% or so of women. They can cause problems such as heavy periods. They can be associated with fertility issues. And if they're large, they can also push on the bladder and the bowel. So there can be pressure symptoms as well. There is some debate about what they do regarding fertility. It depends very much on the size of the fibroids and also where they are. In general, the closer fibroids are to the endometrial cavity, so the womb lining, the more of a problem they are. So fibroids that are poking into the endometrial cavity are or are actually inside the endometrial cavity. These are called submucosal fibroids. And it's generally accepted that they probably reduce the IVF success rate by around about a half. It's also generally accepted that if you surgically remove those fibroids, you can improve the success rate back to what it should be. Moving away from the womb lining, if a woman has a fibroid in the muscle of her uterus, that's called an intramural, which means inside the wall, intramural fibroid. If intramural fibroids are distorting the endometrial cavity, 
then as I just said, that can be a problem. But if they're just purely in the um, muscle lining and they're not interfering with the cavity, there is some debate about what, if anything, they do. Probably if they're over about three to four centimetres diameter or if they are multiple in number and they're intramural, they probably do reduce the implantation rate of embryos in IVF. And we don't really understand the mechanisms as to why this should be. However, we don't know for sure whether surgically removing those fibroids definitely will improve the IVF success rate back up to what it would have been if you never had the fibroids in the first place. So I think probably one approach is that if a woman has heavy periods uh, due to her intramural fibroids and she has, for instance, unexplained infertility or a few failed IVF cycles, then yes, perhaps surgically removing the fibroids would make sense. If, though, she has no menstrual symptoms at all and there's a three to four centimetre fibroid um, in, the, in the muscle of the uterus, so an intramural fibroid, and the cause of the infertility is thought to be some, somewhere else, tubal or maybe some male factor, then it might be she decides to go ahead with an IVF cycle, make some, embryo, make some embryos and just see whether implantation happens. So you can see it's very much a horses for courses thing. And I think with intramural fibroids, it does depend very much on the history and also your willingness to uh, undergo an operation to remove the fibroid. The way you remove the fibroids has to be via the abdomen. So laparoscopic keyhole or an open operation. Ideally, you should try and find a surgeon who can do it laparoscopically. But there are risks of surgery, including infection, bleeding um, or making scar tissue inside or outside the uterine cavity, which, which can cause problems um, as well. If you have fibroids on the outside of the uterus, that's called subserosal fibroids, they don't really cause any problems with fertility at all, though they can cause some pressure symptoms. Most fertility specialists, if we're talking about treating fibroids, would, would prefer to remove them surgically. There is an approach where they can be embolized. It's called uterine artery embolization. And what happens is a radiologist puts a catheter in through one of the blood vessels in the groin and then releases some small particles which clog off the blood supply to the fibroid and so sort of kill the fibroid off. Um, it can be painful. And also there are concerns that it may damage the integrity of the uterus so may not be great from a fertility perspective, though views do differ um, on that. In terms of drugs for fibroids, these generally work by shrinking the fibroids. So again, they don't get rid of the fibroids. And so as soon as you come off the drugs, the fibroids are still there. So it's not really an ideal approach from a fertility perspective. Um, next week we are finally talking endometriosis we are we are can i just say how long it took me to get an interview with anybody who could talk to me about it we were like largely uh ignored by by you know many people many people i begged what's that about i don't talk about it guys yeah anyway the person i did get to talk to was absolutely brilliant um really interesting man so we will yeah that's coming next week um and then yeah that's it really thank you to liz and nick lucy um, our sponsors peanut Thank you to Acast, who are our podcast hosts, who I don't think we've ever mentioned before or thanked. Throwing Acast in. I just think they provide an invaluable service and we should thank them. They do. Thanks, Acast. Thanks, Acast. And thanks, Professor Tim. Yeah, and thanks, Professor Tim. Is there anyone we've missed out? I hope not. (laughs) Well. Thanks to you and I. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks to you, Gabriella. I don't know why I'm using your full name today. It feels good. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Thanks to you, Emma Caroline. Ooh. <laughs> Hello. She's whipping out the big guns. Oh yeah, big reveal. <laughs> all right, everybody have a lovely right. week. Um, yeah, have a great week, guys. Love you all. Love you all. Bye. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.